Not that y'all don't say it loud enough the first time. It's just all I have hassling me. Uh, it's good to be back. It's been a couple of weeks now, three weeks now, I guess, since I've been here because of the fifth week in uh, July. And it's uh, just good to be back with, with family and uh, to see each one of you and uh, to pray that we continue to grow in the spirit, wisdom, and knowledge of God's Word as it's presented to us this morning. So before we get started, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the day. Thank you for a good night's rest. And thank you for now being able to allow us the privilege of worshiping you this morning. We pray, Father, as we hear your word, that it will be your word and not mine. That your spirit will descend upon us, that we will learn and that we will grow in this word. Uh, the book of Revelation is a... Is a It's a tough book. It's a tough one to understand. It's a tough one to learn. And yet, Lord, help us to break it down as best we can to make it a little bit more understandable. Will we ever understand it totally? No, not now. But the day that all of this begins to take place, when uh, those end of days come, whenever that is, uh, it'll be a little bit more uh, clear to us then. But right now, God, I just ask if you would, would you bless us with uh, even just a little bit better understanding than we had before. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning, very short, Revelation chapter 10, it's verses 8 through 11. If you would stand with me as God's word is read. Here's where John writes to us. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying... Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. This is a a relatively short passage in our overall study of the Revelation. Four verses. I, I believe that they should be looked on almost as addendums to what we saw last week. So this is going to be a brief overview of our reading for today. We'll have that first, and then we'll try to make some sense of it all. You know what I'm about to say here, though. While we may or may not make some semblance of these words that were written to us so long ago today, suffice it to say that we can gain two things as we read and study them. First, Jesus is indeed returning to receive us unto himself. We just don't know when that's going to be. But the second is just as important as the first. Perhaps these words are a bit more definite. We'd better be ready when he does come back. In verse 4, we see specifically that the one who is viewing all of this, giving us a play-by-play, may be John, the author of the Revelation. He's hearing a voice telling him to seal up what the seven thunders had said. Let's move to our reading for today. We see this same voice is speaking to John. 
We see as, uh, as well from verse 2 of last week, there was a small scroll in the hand of the angel. Today in verse 8, he is told to take that scroll, and so he does. Verse 9, he tells the angel to give him the scroll, a scroll, and they strike up a short conversation in the meantime. The angel tells John to eat the scroll. Interesting thought, isn't it? And yet, as we will see momentarily, not uncommon for words from the Old Testament. The angel goes on to warn John of two things. When you eat the scroll, it's going to taste sweet in your mouth. Okay, so far, no problems there, right? Then the second less pleasant part, when it hits your stomach, it's going to turn on you in a big, big way. It'll become bitter, he is told. And so he did just that. He took the scroll, he ate it, and immediately afterwards it became bitter to his stomach. After he ate it and all, he was then told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. We heard words not unlike this description of people a few weeks ago in Revelation 7, 9 through 17, specifically verse 9, where many people, a great multitude in fact, of all tribes and peoples and languages are in heaven. They're at God's throne. They are worshiping and praising God at that time. So what's going on here? These folks that are being talked to here in our uh, scripture reading, and particularly in verse 11, I get the impression those folks are not in heaven at all. In fact, they're, they're in a lot of trouble, quite honestly. Well, let's do a bit of a word study first. I want to look at two words we have, uh, that we've been given this morning. One is the word bitter. Now, that word in the Greek is pikrani, as best I understand. Anybody Greek better than that, go for it. P-I-K-R-A-N-E-I, pikrani. The word means, in relation to taste, it could be acrid, could be sharp, maybe even sour. And then the other word is um, the, the, uh, the terms of attitude. It can mean hostile, cynical, antagonistic. Sweet, again, could be talking about taste in the mouth as well as, let's say, a sweet disposition. Understand as well that these are words that we see not just here in Revelation. We've seen these words before in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 3, 1 through 3, Jeremiah 15, verse 16 allude to similar words. Even Psalm 119, verse 103 speak of words that were sweet to the taste. Let's look a bit deeper here at what's going on. Ezekiel 3 gives us this. Son of man. Now, Ezekiel is being addressed here, okay? It's the only other place in the scriptures other than Jesus that someone is de uh, uh, described as son of man. And this is Ezekiel here. He is told, eat this scroll. So he did. And it was sweet. But then again, if you look in verse 7... He is told, the house of Israel will not listen to you. They won't listen to me, God tells him. Sweet and sour, you could say. 
How about Philippians 2, 5 and 6, just for a little exercise this. Have this in mind among yourselves, who though he was in the form of God, that's the sweet, the sour, verses 7 and 8, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being humbled by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. How about Hebrews 4.11, the sweet and the bitter, the acrid, the sour. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, there's the sweet, so that no one may fall by that same sort of disobedience, the sour. There are other places like that that I would encourage you to look at that aspect of God's Word in a little bit unique way, I suppose. But one last one, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's the sweet, isn't it? The sour, that he had to give his only son. Of course, that's going to be sweetness for all who believe and call on the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yet, don't you know that even God himself experienced the good and the bad, the sweet and the unpleasant, all because of us? Now, what was the purpose of eating this scroll, this little book we might even could say? You ever tried to eat a little book, a little notebook? Not even good with salt on it, is it? Maybe we could even ask, what was the purpose of it being sweet and sour? Usually if something like that happens to us, it's because we've ingested too much in the way of sweets, haven't we? It, it would usually nauseate you if you ate too much sweets. Maybe this is the same. Maybe it isn't. I, don't, I really cannot say. But let me go back to Ezekiel 3 once again. This time it's in verses 10 and 11. Here is a good parallel. Ezekiel was to eat the scroll, as we saw in the first three verses of Ezekiel 3. But here in 10 and 11, God told Ezekiel to receive in his heart and hear with his ears the words that he was going to tell him. He is going to tell the exiles, the people of Israel, thus says the Lord God. I mean, he's meaning business here. But God ends it with whether they listen to you or refuse to hear it is really up in the air. But what else was it the prophet was to tell the people? This was the sour. In essence, the Ezekiel, the way I understand it, was going to be God's spokesperson to the Israelite nation from here on. He was going to tell them that they would be held in captivity because of their hard-heartedness toward God. There's the sour. Not really what they wanted to hear then, I would imagine. The real bitter, I guess you could say. So the same thing is about to happen in Revelation. John's about to eat the scroll, and then the words of God that would bring condemnation to the people left on earth because of their hard-heartedness toward God. This is God's judgment against the world. Now, whether John was anticipating the words from the scroll to, to be words of hope and forgiveness to the world is anybody's guess. However, because there is such a parallel between Revelation 10 and Ezekiel 3, it seems logical that they would follow the same path. It's indeed sweet. Or should be to us as followers of Jesus Christ to hear words from the book of Revelation and know that we, God and us, win in the end. 
But there has to be this retribution. There has to be this paying for the sins that have taken place for so long upon this earth. That evil will be overturned in the end. We know that. We can live on that. That's sweetness to you and me. And yet knowing that the words of sweetness we may have heard will become the death sentence to the world. In my opinion, it would have to be nauseating to us if we hear those words, even though they're directed at someone else. For the Christ-rejecting world around us, we should not rejoice in that. that. That should not be something that we would look forward to for all those who do ill against us, who sin against us. Oh, you're going to get it one day. You're going to get yours in the end, by golly. That's not how we should live. That's not how, what our motivation should be as Christians. To hear words like that, it should nauseate us because someone else is going to have to pay the price. The prophecy becomes bitter, as it did, I am sure, for Ezekiel as well. Having to speak words of condemnation to the people of Israel, which were his own people. It's the same for us today. The people that would be, these words would be directed to would be our neighbor, our friends, maybe even our family. You know, I've told you all my previous Bible classes I had when we taught the book of Revelation. We'd start off with a fairly large number of folks who were really ready to learn more about this particular book, this complicated book. But by the time we got halfway through it, half our class was gone. Some perhaps left because they had other things to do on a Sunday afternoon or a Thursday morning and and life just kind of got in the way. I understand that. Maybe, as I suspected, it was because I wasn't giving them the information that they wanted. That is, the day and time that the end of the world was going to occur. Still others, and I truly hope this was not the case. Maybe some heard that that so much of this could apply to their lives, and they simply did not want to hear it. They couldn't bear hearing it. They just couldn't accept the fact that if they live outside of what God expects from us, the end of this thing we call the world could end with them in a position that they didn't want to think about or consider. Don't you think that that's why so many people today say, well, you go to a funeral. Now, well, you know old such and such, he lived a good life. He did a lot of good things for people. He was always nice. He followed the Ten Commandments. Oh, I know he didn't believe in God and used to cuss him quite a bit. He may have held a grudge or two, but yeah, I know old such and such is in heaven right now. If there ever was a heaven, he's got to be there. You know, one big difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is a type of hope. I think the non-Christian is merely hoping that there's no hell, that there is no afterlife. The hope that we have in the resurrected Lord, you and I, hope in God's grace and mercy, hope that one day we will be united with our Lord God is a hope for the long haul, for both now in this life and in the hope in eternal with our God in heaven. 
I read, or I heard, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. He had gone to a funeral. I'm not going to tell you the denomination, but you probably would pretty well be able to figure it out. But it was over in Chester, and it was a golfing buddy of his that had passed away. Now, always played on Sunday mornings. That was their time. He said, the preacher got up there, and the very first thing that he said, he looked down at the family, and he said, folks, you do know old such and such is in hell now, right? You could end it right there, okay? I mean, you didn't have to say anything else. But, I mean, there's a way of doing this, okay? There's a way of saying these things. And then there's a wrong way, okay? And I I think this guy was wrong, in my opinion, at least anyway. There's, what is it, catching uh, flies with with honey or with vinegar, I think. It's it's, just, you know, there you go. Well, I read one of my commentators, one of my favorites over the years. His name's J. Vernon McGee. And he made an interesting point. He said that in the last days, many people will turn their thoughts to prophecy. They'll want to learn about it. They'll try to piece it together with what's going on today. They'll want to try to figure out all of this end-day stuff to see if it's true or not. Honestly, they'll get no closer to that time than you and I can or will. However, for them, that's as far as it goes. While they want to know what day the world will end, they're not willing to change how they live their life. And he ends with this statement. It's unfortunate that people will get interested in prophecy, but not interested in Christian living. told him a story that after he had moved to California, a Prussian friend of his came to visit him out in L.A., the guy asked him, how are you liking your church out here? It was still fairly new to Reverend McGee. And he said, well, I, it's kind of funny out here. I, I really don't know. But I can teach a study on Revelation and fill the room. But if I talk about Romans, nobody shows up. Interesting, said his Prussian friend. But you'll find, as some time goes on, Christians are much more interested in finding out about the Antichrist than they are about finding Christ himself. I suppose the perfect ending to this section of Scripture would be to end at verse 10, but it doesn't. I suppose we can wonder why they come to hear about the Antichrist, maybe even all the other things that we deem symbolic. Some of us might have a better answer about all the symbolic stuff than I do. But this passage does not end at verse 10. It ends at verse 11. Hear it again. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Would have been a cleaner ending without that last verse, I would dare say. The reason John's stomach was turned after eating the sweetness of God's word was there was bad news ahead for many. And that bad news isn't passed through osmosis or thought waves or maybe just a sad glance towards someone or maybe even hearing words that I just talked about 
at a funeral that were totally, in my opinion, inappropriate for that particular time. Maybe this was the reason the sweetness in his mouth became bitter in his stomach. You see, the challenge was laid out to John. But let's make it personal for a second here, shall we? The same challenge is laid out for us today. And yet, we will have to go up against many who are claiming that there's no God, that there's no Christ, that there are, um, there are many ways to heaven. Forget John 14, 6. That's an aberration. We don't have to look at that. More bitterness and hatred, hatred will be spewed out against us as Christians as the day draws nearer. Maybe the days of trial and tribulation will amp up against us. I have to believe that if things keep going in the direction they are, they are going to get worse. And some, for some odd reason, will find that humorous. They'll find that funny. Others will continue to try to preach a quote-unquote gospel that is so very far off base. It's called tickling the itching ears of the people. Nothing new here, just new topics is all. It looks like John is being given a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. Enough to wet our whistle, at least, anyway. I guess you could say that. But he is told to continue preaching the gospel in its entirety. Not just the good stuff, but the stuff that's also a little bit harder to swallow for many. But as the statement was put to John, I ask you, will going out and telling God's truth make your stomach do flip-flops? Think about that question for a minute. In some ways, maybe it will. In some ways, maybe it will not. In some ways, we're nervous talking to people about anything as personal as their walk with Jesus. We don't want to ask the probing questions concerning their salvation. I've had people tell me over the years, uh, I just have a hard time talking to people in public. I just can't do it. I can't give a speech or anything like that. But honestly, I think these same people have a hard time talking to one person at a time as well, depending on the subject. Oftentimes, folks believe that talking to others about their salvation, that's for the preacher to do. I mean, that, that's what he gets paid for, right? That's what he went to seminary for, to learn all this stuff so he can go out and he can win the world for Jesus. Folks, I've got news for you. Whether you can talk to one or a thousand. Telling others about Jesus Christ is a job every one of us have been tasked to do as Christians. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. They, that, those words are not directed to pastors alone. They are directed to every single one of us. And if I read the passage right, it is meant for every professing Christian to go out and tell the world about Jesus. It's a talk we should have with folks with desperation in our hearts and a, and a wrenching in our stomachs. Not because of fear that we're going to be questioned about things we don't know. Not even about someone rejecting what we're saying. It should be this way because we know what the book of Revelation says. And it says we should all be ready when that time comes because we do not know when that time 
will come. But we do know that if a person doesn't have Jesus Christ in them, we know what we've been told, what we have read. We know what the results will be. So while the word can have a sweetness to us, it should have a bitterness within us as well for those who just won't listen to the message that we have for them. We've seen prophecies of what the coming days will look like when that time comes, whenever that time comes. We've seen what is going on, what is going to take place, and and we say each time we're together, we can't even begin to grasp the beauty of heaven. But folks, we can't begin to grasp the severity of what the unbeliever will have to face on this earth either. And then there's the judgment. I want to ask you, is that not worth caring about? Is that not worth wanting to share with others? It's like we have this secret within us and we want to hoard it. Why? Why would we do that? We have life-altering, life-changing, life-saving information within us, folks. Why would you want to die with that information still trapped inside you? That's my question. Understand that the scroll John ate was sweet to him. He was digesting the scroll. In other words, God's word was being taken into his very being at the same time. And while much of what he was eating was going to eventually be bitter in his stomach, we need to understand that not all of that bitterness came because of what was going to be bad news to others. Okay, please understand that. No, John knew all his shortcomings as well. He was, after all, human like the rest of us. And he knew that he too needed God's discipline from time to time because of the sin in his life. He needed to be reminded that he too needed to repent and turn from the wrongful ways like even the most rebellious non-Christian on the planet needed to do. And don't you know, as he thought about that, that turned his stomach. I know it does mine when I think about my sin. When I am confronted with the sin in my life. But it makes me come to a conclusion. I hope it does you too. I need forgiveness of my sin. Brought to me. Poured out upon me. By the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ. Or. I could simply turn away from the one who gave me life. And go out and do what I wanted to do. Ignoring God's plea. For me to come back. Reminds me of the prodigal son, that story in Luke 15. But I can tell you, I was a classic example of that prodigal son. But don't you understand, don't you see that we are, what we're fighting now? We're fighting prodigal sons every day of our lives. We're fighting it within ourselves, and we're fighting it in others. We need to be reminded every day, every day, that we are sinners 
saved by grace. But don't you also see what it should, that it should motivate us to go out and teach and preach the gospel? Because we know personally what it can do for each one of us. That there is no need to worry or fret about the last days for you and me. We're told by Jesus, the living Christian life, that living the Christian life was not going to be an easy thing to do. And perhaps telling someone you love, maybe a good friend, that if they died today, the best that they will get at their funeral might just possibly be another lost soul telling all their friends that he did good things in life. I just know he's looking down from heaven right now and smiling at us. Is that what you want to leave someone you love with? Knowing that you could have given them a chance at life through finding Jesus for themselves if you had just gotten over the scared nausea of talking to someone about perhaps the most important thing that they will ever need to know. John had a glimpse of heaven, yet was told to continue preaching the gospel. All of it, not just parts of it. Through our relationship with Christ, we too have had a glimpse of heaven. We get it each time we come together, even in this room. We get more of it when we hear these sometimes difficult words from the Revelation. We receive a greater glimpse every time we read and we study God's Word. The time, it's drawing near. It's closer than it was last week. Then even when we began talking just a little while ago. My question, what are you going to do with your time? Are you going to share the good news with others? Or will you wait for somebody else to do your job because the task simply nauseates you? The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this lesson. Uh, how John, it, it, it strikes each one of us perhaps in different ways. Lord, I pray this morning that uh, it will strike us directly in the heart, in, the, in our very stomachs, and that we will take this scroll that is sweet to our, our mouths, to our lips. And even though it can be bitter to us because of others, even because of the sin within ourselves, we need to go out and share this, this good news. So would you bless us with a greater desire a greater understanding and a greater strength to go out and bring the loss to you. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got the confession of faith now. <laughs> got the Nicene Creed. <laughs>